0: This is Robin, the producer of KRBN Internet News Talk Radio for Pearl Buck Center. Pearl Buck Center is a nonprofit offering people with various abilities the support that they need to achieve their goals within Lane County. If you enjoy working with people while enriching their lives and your own, come join their team. Pearl Buck Center is looking for creative thinkers that enjoy bringing ideas to life. No experience is necessary for some positions, so for more information and to apply, check out their website at www.pearlbuckcenter.com or give them a call at 541-484-4666. Thanks to you, our listeners. KRBN Internet News Talk Radio is growing and is now available on more stations such as Facebook Video, Player.fm, iTunes, Verbal, and now on Amazon Audible. KRBN Internet News Talk Radio currently does not receive any funding to bring you these programs. However, we do ask that you hit that like button and tell your friends to help this station grow, and thank you again for your support.
1: Live from Lane County, Oregon, it's the Bose No Show. With your host, West Lane County Commissioner, Jay Mosovic.
0: And good afternoon and welcome to another edition of the Bo's Nose Show. And I'm your host, West Lane County Commissioner Jay Bozovich, and we're coming to you live from beautiful downtown Elmira. And we've got a packed show today. You know, last week I was kind of scrambling. Got on the air late because I completely was just discombobulated, coming off of, you know, sleep deprivation and everything else, uh, of of a couple weeks of craziness with uh, knee replacement surgery for the wife and, you know, getting up in the middle of the night to take care of things and all that. But this week, I'm a little bit more organized uh, and raring to go. Some things went on yesterday, board meeting I want to talk about, some things that are going on uh, in the news about COVID and everything I want to talk about. But mostly, I like talking with you all because this is a call-in show. And I want to remind folks that all you have to do to jump in and take the show in the direction you want it to go is call us at 646-721-9887. Just press 1 and that lets us know you want to get in on the show here. And again, that's 646-721-9887 646-721-9887 and just press one and that lets Robin, my call screener and producer extraordinaire know that you want to get it on the show and you're not just calling in to listen. So uh, just give us a call and we'll talk about what you want to talk about. But unless somebody calls in the next minute or so, I'm going to talk a little bit about uh, COVID and arbitrary, you know, benchmarks and, and, arbitrary restrictions, and what that all means, and where we are, and, and, you know, we hit this huge arbitrary milestone yesterday. We got ourselves to 70, I mean, to 65 percent of our population 16 years and older having at least one vaccine, one, one dose of uh, the vaccine. So, Because of that, the governor is is allowing us, as of today, to drop down to low risk in a permanent fashion. We're never going to be in danger of going up, even if our case counts go up, which all of that doesn't make a lot of sense. First of all, why is 65% of single dose for that population a big trigger point? No one can tell me. (laughs) But that was what was chosen by the governor, you know, as she waved her magic scepter, as Louie joined the conversation. Um, And the governor waved her magic scepter at 65% and said, Lane County, you are now lower risk. And, you know, and what's interesting is Deschutes County hit that benchmark like three weeks ago. And got dropped down into permanent lower risk. Yet, while Lane County was still being held in high risk and in, at, at moderate risk over the last couple of weeks, Deschutes County was dropped down to lower risk. Yet, their case count per hundred thousand should have had them in high risk, <laughs> and they actually have no capacity in their ICU units in their hospital region and their hospitalization utilization's up. Their test positivity rate is over 5%, which is a major, you know, one of those quote benchmarks. Um, Everything about Deschutes County shows that hitting 65% doesn't necessarily mean that you're good. Far worse numbers than we did when we hadn't hit 65% yet. And they're up to uh, close to 67% now so it, there's no magic in 65%, but I think the governor was looking for a um, a way out of of having the restrictions and also was trying to coerce people into getting vaccinated. It was basically saying, until you all hit 65% vaccination, I'm going to keep some of your freedoms away from you, and I'm not going to let you have more than six people at a table in a restaurant and I'm not going to let you have more than 25% seating and you're only going to be allowed to have six people at an at-home indoor gathering but now we're at low risk and she's waved her scepter as my friend Bill London likes to say scepter slot, scepter slot, scepter slot. And uh, we, uh, we are now allowed to have up to 10 people at home indoors. And you're allowed to have eight people at your table in a restaurant and 50% capacity. So, you know, they make it sound like going to low risk was, you know, suddenly we're free and we're not really.
1: Yeah,
0: yeah, we're free. No, we're not we still have all these restrictions that aren't making a lot of sense because we have yet to have a an, an outbreak traced to a restaurant in Lane County yet we're still restricting capacity in restaurants we have had multiple outbreaks traced to private gatherings and where do people go when they can't get a reservation in a restaurant They have an in-home gathering. (laughs) How does this make sense? Do the restrictions really protect us, or are they just about, I'm keeping them on because I want the pressure on you guys to get that vaccine. Because we're going to coerce you into getting that vaccine. And I talked about this last week. We should be educating people into getting the vaccine. Remove the restrictions. Stop the silliness. You know, I, I, I am so tired as somebody that's fully vaccinated of wearing my face mask all over the place. It's just silly. You know, everyone has had the opportunity to get vaccinated. In fact, Lane County is phasing out our mass vax clinics because we're not getting people show up. If you wanted a vaccine, there's no reason you shouldn't have gotten one. And, you know, right now you can continue to get one. Almost every pharmacy in Lane County is offering vaccinations. And with, you know, very little wait times or or need for appointments, just walk in and get one. Most doctor's offices are, are offering them free. So, you know, if you want to be vaccinated, you can be vaccinated. So... Uh, you know, we really should be thinking about, at this point, folks that want to be vaccinated can get vaccinated. Folks that didn't want to be vaccinated don't want to be vaccinated. That's fine. It's their risk. Um, and we should move on at some point and, and just educate people. You know, the negative impacts of the vaccine for the millions of doses have been, that have been put in arms in the U.S. are, are microscopic in comparison to the number of deaths per case, you know, count it, of actual, the actual disease. I mean, one in 100 chance of death, if you catch COVID is, is pretty high chances, and these, you know, six or so, or seven or so, or, you know, eight dozens, you know, so, compared to millions of vaccinations of of complications, and and, uh, it's just, you know, no comparison as far as level of risk goes. But, you know, I still wouldn't force anybody to be vaccinated, which gets to the whole point of I wouldn't force anyone to have to prove they were vaccinated or not to use their freedoms. Because that's where things seem to be steering, uh, you know, by Oregon policy. And I really support the Oregon Republican caucus at the legislature that's pushing for a bill that would ban people from having to prove their status, their vaccination status. It just it's an unnecessary thing to do. So, you know, here we are at low risk you're actually now allowed to you know, have 75% capacity in a retail store. Now, mind you, have they been counting the number of customers coming in and out of your local Fred Meyer or the Costco to make sure they're not exceeding 75%? And is that capacity the fire marshal capacity for the store? Yeah. You know, so, which is pretty crowded, um, but still, you know, they're only allowed 75%. And, of course, What's, you know, interesting is
1: uh,
0: this this interplay between how they treat um, faith institutions versus entertainment venues. So indoor entertainment establishments like theaters are limited to a max capacity of 50%, but churches are allowed 75%. Now, everyone might be aware there's a, a, a theater in this town called the Shed Institute. Well, it's in a building that used to be the first Baptist church. It's the same facility. Yet, because it's being operated as a theater, it's only allowed to have 50% capacity. But if they held a church service in that theater, it would be allowed 75% capacity. That makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? For some reason, COVID knows the difference between a religious service and a concert. <laughs> sort of like this thing, you know, when we were back in our, our high and moderate restaurants and bars had to close at 11 o'clock. But now that we're in low, they're allowed to stay open till midnight because we all know that COVID tells time and gets more deadly the later in the evening it gets. (sighs) Yes. Restrictions that don't seem to have any connection to preventing the spread of the disease. That makes people not want to obey them. It also makes people understand that Keeping those restrictions on that have no tie to preventing disease is all about coercion to get people to vaccinate, which makes people not trust the vaccine. Our state needs to change its policies. I mean, we are the last state that's restricting businesses, requiring mask mandates. You know, we are the laughingstock of this country at this point. Look at Florida and Texas. even California's relaxed their rules well beyond Oregon. Washington State, you know that, those you know we were the three that you know were, were all a dither about it, but you know it just it's not making a lot of sense. Okay. especially looking at at the epi, epi curves with you know which show the case counts are still dropping in Oregon. Our hospitalization usage is dropping. Of course, with the exception of Deschutes County, which seems to be some kind of weird anomaly. Um, but it just kind of shows that even if we hit 65%, people still ought to not be stupid about the disease. You know, 65%, uh, it, a lot of them is just one dose. They haven't gotten their second dose yet, and they haven't been two weeks from their second dose when they fully develop. The, you know the immunities. Um, you know you get a certain amount of, of protection, about fifty percent protection at one dose of, of the Pfizer. At the second dose, it jumps you up to eighty percent. But that two-week period gets you up over the ninety into the ninety-six percent range of protection. Um, so just because we hit sixty-five percent isn't some magic that was at the the pandemic is, is going to disappear. It helps a lot, believe me. And and one of the, the things we're seeing is 90% plus of people that get the first dose come back for the second. So that that's kind of we know that that will happen eventually in the next month or so people will get that second dose and they'll get their two weeks of time and we'll really see even bigger changes as summer goes on, which gets to, you know, this whole thing of the next artificial uh, benchmark that the state's looking for, which is a statewide um, vaccination rate or first dose rate of 70% before they'll lift the rest of the restrictions, supposedly, including the mask mandates. But they haven't quite said exactly what they're going to do, which I, I'm a little bit worried because it might be like this low risk where it really isn't about completely lifting restrictions, you know, um, but we'll see. Um, I, I just kind of wish that they would they would issue some uh, better guidance for large events, um, and particularly outdoor events for the summer, like if they could at least say by July 1st, we're going to allow um, all these large events to take place, because frankly, right now, um, you know, these outdoor uh, entertainment establishments, they talk about 50 percent capacity. What's 50% capacity for a county fair? Um, How do you measure that? You know, do you take the largest, you know, fair uh, attendance uh, day of of the last 10 years and divide it by a half and you stop selling tickets at that? Um, You know, what do you do for uh, something like the Oregon country fair? You know, can they, can they, count on that. Um, there just needs to be some better guidance given, uh, you know, and I, I I feel fortunate we dropped down to low. It's helping a lot of people out, but then it's bringing around some other issues, too, as these restaurants start to get, you know, to be open more. They can't staff up to serve that many seats, so it's a little bit, there's a little restriction on the other end of the workforce that's been in the news a lot lately. In fact, A lot of my fellow county commissioners from the other side of the Cascades have asked the governor to drop the extra $300 um, of unemployment um, payments so that maybe some of those folks will actually come back to work. (laughs) Uh, So pretty interesting there. But, uh, yeah, that's kind of the the COVID lowdown for the moment, you know, that we're in low risk here in Lane County and we're there, quote, permanently. Um, So at least we've got... Our restaurant's open till midnight, and we get to have 50% capacity, and we get to have eight people at the table instead of six, you know, and all that good stuff. But we still aren't free, and we still got to wear a mask, and and it sounds like if you don't want to wear a mask, then the business has got to first decide that they want to allow you not to wear a mask. And when they do, they have to get you to prove right now under state rules that you've been vaccinated, which gets back to that vaccine passport issue that I think is really um, trying to divide us into two separate classes of citizens over a health care decision. So speaking of COVID though, I wanna talk about one more issue that's COVID related, but it's also voting rights related And there's been a lot in the news over the last year or so about, you know, all these things people were doing to make voting easier during the pandemic, you know, vote by mail. And now they want to go to a national vote by mail and have the federal government be in charge of all elections, which is against the constitution. But um, there's one party that keeps accusing the other party of trying to restrict voters' rights and just, you know, Bring back Jim Crow and, and, and all these horrible things, um, and it's that you know the left progressive side that keeps trying to accuse the the right conservative side of of you know being anti-voter um, rights. Well, you know we did all these things to try and make it easier to vote during COVID, um, and there's another portion of exercising democracy here in in Oregon that is a right of the citizens and that's the right to create law through the initiative process. And those initiative rights are very similar to, you know, the voting rights, you know, because it's part of how you get it on the ballot in the first place. Well, I proposed that there that Lane County extend the signature gathering period for any petitions that got caught up in the pandemic because once the pandemic came about, you couldn't, you know, hire people to go door to door because it was against the rules (laughs) more or less. And you probably would have gotten fines slapped on you by OSHA for violating the the COVID safety rules. There were no mass events to collect signatures at. There were no county fairs there you know, there were a lot of the markets and all that, you know, closed up, you know, Saturday market all was very restricted. You know, it, it just collecting signatures became a huge issue. So I propose that any petitions that were in circulation at the time of the pandemic get a six-month extension to, to finish collecting their signatures now that people are getting vaccinated or dropping down to the low risk, and maybe those... you know, as a fairness measure, similar to everything else that was done to make it easier to vote in the last elections. It would be a fairness thing to allow these folks that had started the initiative signature gathering process in Lane County, but got caught up in the pandemic and couldn't finish. Well, so I brought that forward a few, you know, months ago, finally got an ordinance written, had a first reading, At a second reading, we moved it to a third reading and continued public hearing on the 25th and um, made the motion to approve it, thinking, you know, this is kind of a no-brainer, you know. And and frankly, there are only two initiatives that were in circulation, and I don't know if I would vote yes on either one of them, but it wasn't about the content of what those initiatives were. You know, this decision was about fairness and the pandemic and the right to, to, of the people to create law through the initiative process. Well, the, I wasn't successful in getting that approved. And I tried to bring it back again yesterday and it confirmed that the three progressive commissioners on our board, Chair Burney, um, Commissioner Traeger, and Commissioner Buck did not support the concept of providing a six-month extension to these two initiatives. So, I don't want to hear again how it's the conservatives that are always trying to be anti-democracy and anti-voting rights and all. This was clearly the progressives on our board that did not want to provide any sort of relief to these initiative petitions that got caught up in the pandemic. Yet they're the same people that probably advocated for a vote by mail in states that never held it and, you know, wanting to make it easier for everybody to vote. But you know, when it comes to exercising democracy by the initiative process, they weren't for it. And I can tell you I think why. Because one of those initiative petitions would have changed the way you vote in Lane County. Not sure it would ever have been approved, but the Democrat Party of Lane County is so afraid of the the, the concept of STAR voting, which is one of these kind of scored ranked votings, um, automatic runoff, scored then automatic runoff voting, I think is what STAR stands for, um, that you know it might that they might lose their grip on power if it gains traction as as a party and might actually you know elect uh, you know it would it would get rid of the issue of spoiler candidates because of the way it scores and it do all sorts of things to kind of maybe elect you know reasonable people to office and all not sure I'd support it though because I believe it might violate um one person one vote issues that's beside the point, you know, I, like I said, I I might vote no if either of these made the ballot, but I know that the, the the local party did not support this concept. And I think that those three commissioners got orders from the local party to not support moving this forward. So I don't want to hear again that it's just the conservatives that want to restrict your democratic rights here in Oregon just remember it was the progressive commissioners Bernie Trigger that that would not support a six-month extension to collect signatures for initiative petitions that got caught up in the pandemic the two more conservative commissioners and, and, and calling Pat Farr conservative is kind of maybe not a very good label at all for Pat because I think he walks the middle of the road and and uh, leans on the left side uh, quite often. Um, And even calling myself, who's a libertarian, not a conservative, uh, conservative, but still, if you wanted to divide our board up progressive conservative, it was progressives that would not support that extension. So, Just remember that. Before we leave COVID and change to a whole different topic, I just want to remind folks, this is a call-in show. And if you want to talk COVID before we leave the topic, you can just give us a call, 646-721-9887. Press one so we know you want to get in on the show. Again, that's 646-721-9887. And press one so that Robin knows you want to get in on the show. Or if you want to talk about something else, same number. But I want to talk about the homeless issue a little bit because one of the things I didn't get talked about last week was something that happened a couple board meetings back, which was, we had a report from um, our quote homeless czar, <laughs> uh about, you know, how you know, our progress in trying to deal with the homeless situation and where we are and all. And, uh, you know we're you know we've got all these different you know tactics we're trying to 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 put forward and and execute and we're throwing all sorts of money at the problem in fact, yesterday the board approved millions of dollars in contracts to serve the homeless populations community uh, and I asked the question because i'm you know I used to be able to kind of defend some of the work we were doing with our homeless population here because we really could kind of prove by data that a lot of our homeless came from Lane County. You know, there was people that would go, you know, you're just attracting them. It's like, no, that wasn't true. Three or four years ago, I had good data and even some studies done by the University of Oregon that that are now out of date that showed that we were growing our own homeless here in Lane County. There were enough people that were, you know, not getting proper behavioral health care, enough people that fell into addiction, enough people that had other problems. And with our high housing costs and housing shortage here, we were growing our own to a certain extent. And, um, you know, from there, uh, we we really um, were doing some good things, you know, as we, we were put forward this um, Housing First model with our MLK Commons. It's designed to work towards moving people out of homelessness by, you know, getting them off the street, connecting them with intensive case management, dealing with why they were on the street in the first place. And trying to move them into more, you know, stable and the, the, you know, least restrictive housing they can they can obtain, you know, depending on their their capabilities. Um, that's you know kind of chipping away, you know, at that permanent and, and chronically homeless people. But one of my questions was: it seems like we've gone from focusing on that strategy of let's grab these people and and try and really work to get them you know not just you know temporarily housed but to to deal with why they were homeless in the first place and then get them you know moved back into as as close to normal housing as we can get them it seems like we've gone toward towards this we we just have to to help people and stop you know, stop them from being, you know, freezing to death or stop them from starving to death or stop them from this or stop them from that. And it seems like a lot of our programs aren't necessarily dealing with the root causes of why that pe- person's homeless, but only treating the symptoms and enabling those people to be comfortable in their homelessness. <laughs> and, and in in that enablement, we are actually Possibly attracting homeless from other areas, and I'm hearing more and more um, subjective data it's 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 you know word of mouth and and just things like looking at license plates of the campers on the streets and in the industrial parks uh, being out of state um, that that may be the case. I can't say today that we're growing our own homeless population from our own citizens. I'm sure there's still a certain amount, but I am concerned that our changes in statewide policy like Measure 110 that made it, you know, basically uh, a you know, easy place to 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 be a, a, a drug user because you'll just get a a fine <laughs> basically. Um, If you get caught with user quantity um, levels of drugs, uh, instead of getting a felony, uh, if it's over a certain amount, that that user amount was raised quite a bit and and basically made into a misdemeanor. Um, That part of our policy and then all of these things we're doing um, that seem to be enabling. I mean, we awarded a contract for almost a million dollars for a low barrier um, you know, dispersed sort of shelter, you know, i.e. tent camps um, yesterday, you know, is that really helping those people? You know, quote, low barrier means they don't have to be sober. doesn't mean they have to kind of fit the rules because they all, uh, the only idea is to try and get those pe- people some kind of shelter. You know, And is that truly helping? And we are spending millions, millions of dollars through local nonprofits. You know, are we creating, yeah, are we creating uh, some kind of uh, industry in this area? We have more nonprofits per capita than in almost anywhere in the country in this county. You know, is, 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 there a, is it becoming almost a profit center? I don't know. I I question about that. So I understand we've got uh, Frank on the line who wants to jump in on the show. Frank, what's on your mind?
1: Hi, Jay. Thank you for taking this. I'm sorry I'm going to be jumping back to a previous topic right now. But I agree with what you're saying about the homeless situation. You're right on about that. Uh, but I wanted to make to mention about the star voting system. That scares the life out of me because I think if you're in a state like this one, which is predominant liberal Democrat, you're never going to have anybody in office again that isn't a liberal Democrat because those will always be the first persons fault coming up on the voting system. So that really scares me. Not only that, I'm really concerned about the voting system and. Oregon with the mail-in balloting and is it as honest as we would like it to be? I'd certainly like to see us go back to voting in person rather than the way we're doing it now. But that SAR voting system, that's scary. I think Washington State of Washington, if I'm not mistaken, is using that system now.
0: Yeah, I'm not sure where it's being utilized. Uh, And there's different, there's also something called score voting and, and a few other um, variations on it um but yeah i i'm like i said my attempt to extend the, the signature gathering was about just being fair under covid like i said yeah. i would probably vote against it if it ever reached the ballot um and and that's you know yeah i i don't know if it would necessarily continually elect democrats but i i it would possibly affect you know at, at one point um we could have had a Republican governor in this state, but a spoiler candidate ran against him as a third party and took enough votes away that elected a Democrat at that time. Now, well, if, if
1: you've
0: been in the state long enough, to remember Dave Romires' run for, you know, um, for governor. Um, and if if you had had something like star voting at that time, where this, you know, the people that, that Voted for, um was it? Mobley, who was the, the 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 Christian OCA candidate? Um, but it still, the people that voted for him, their number two probably would have been Dave Frommeyer. and and the people that you know that third place, their their. They would have had their votes moved to their number number two choice, and he probably would have ended up the governor. So it might, I'm not positive it would have always will always elect a Democrat, but um it, it does well, does kind of get like rid said, of the I the, think the
1: that's the reason they want that's to that's the reason, reason that insistence is to try and ensure who gets into political office.
0: Yeah. But yeah, and, and so it's interesting that that apparently it scares the Democrat Party enough that they squash the extension of the signature gathering. Yeah. Yeah. Um, no. uh, Anything else
1: well, on your mind? You for, for, well, I, I'm well, just very concerned even about our last gubernatorial election in this state. I still think New Bueller won that election, but at the last minute, the votes all of a sudden came in for Brown. And that was very strange, and it goes along to exactly what they're examining in so many other states. I hope there's a group in this state investigating into doing something about our election procedure and maybe getting away from those computerized machines, because I, I have no faith in those at all anymore. Yeah, yeah. I don't, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, it, it, I, maybe I mentioned it yeah, to you before, but I remember very distinctly following Oregon Online. Oregon Online was supposed to have a direct feed to the uh, returns that were coming in. And Newt Bueller was way ahead of Brown. And he, they, he, Oregon Online called the election for Newt Bueller. And then after a period of time, all of a sudden, a lot of other votes turned out and Brown won. And because it was so similar to what has happened in other states now, I'm very, very suspicious about anybody that was voted into office in this state.
0: Yeah, it always seems like they. Multnomah County is the the one that tips the balance at the last minute. Um, yeah. yeah, yeah. At least it's not like King County where they they start finding ballots in people's trunks of their cars and start counting those so that they can keep Dino Rossi from being governor. Uh, I don't know if you remember that election. <laughs> Uh, down. Yeah, I want
1: to thank they you can't. for letting me call in, I'm I'm me call
0: in and I'm thank talk. you for your show. All right.
1: Thanks, Frank. Okay.
0: Talk to you later. Okay. Thank you, Jay. Bye-bye. Bye. See, just like that, Frank took us back to a previous subject. So all you have to do is give us a call at 646-721-9887. So getting back over to the homeless side, so my whole point of bringing this up is one of the things i asked staff for was can you tell me you know we keep track we have this this homeless uh management information system the hmis they call it um it, it's a database that all of this the the um nonprofits that provide services to the homeless population are supposed to be inputting into so we get an idea of of um who's accessing services where. And of course, there's certain um, things that we try and maintain privacy on, but um, one of the things we can do though is, is th- there are questions asked in that, in that data entry about, you know, where, where did you live in the last year and where did you live in the last 10 years and stuff like that, trying to, to, to get an idea of, um, you know, whether they're a new resident of Lane County or not. Um, and I asked, I said, you know, how, how hard would it be to relook at that data so I can kind of be insured assured that, that we're not enabling and attracting homeless people that we're actually reabling and, and, and getting people back, um, to not being homeless, you know, in a more permanent fashion. And, uh, the, the response from staff was, well, we, we can we can take a look at that. It's going to take some time to put it all together, blah, blah. It's like, wow, is it that hard to query a database? Because that's really what that is. Um, and I just wonder if it's kind of – they kind of know that it's probably starting to swing the other direction where we're attracting the homeless here. And I, and I really – it gets gets down to the thing is when do we start – you know, holding some of these folks accountable that are coming here just because they know they can live an addictive lifestyle and and that we offer all kinds of services that make it more comfortable for them to live that lifestyle. And, uh, you know, we really need to start seriously thinking about where we invest our dollars when it comes to trying to deal with the homeless population. They should be going into permanent supportive housing that has case management and treatment connected to it. You know, anything other than that is enabling. And yes, you know, it sounds a little hard hearted, but you know, if if we make it that easy, you know, people are going to be starting to relocate here. My understanding is there's there's actually websites for quote travelers, and that Lane Eugene and Lane County are ranked number one in this country to be a traveler in in the summertime and ranked number three in the winter and the only reason we're ranked number three in the winter is the weather so you know somehow or another. We're becoming known as the great place to be if you're quote, a traveler. So um, we need to be thinking about we're taking resources, local resources from local taxpayers and attracting people into our community from outside the community that we're supporting with those local taxpayer resources it might go to other things like maybe rural patrol or more people reviewing building permits so they get processed faster you know or better yet maybe they should go into permanent supportive housing that really you know does something to move the needle long term for the homeless instead of enabling them and making it easier and then starting to attract them from out of the area. So, might be time to start rethinking that whole homeless service plan and having it focus much more on that side of the scale rather than doing things like rest stops and, you know, pallet shelters and, you know, tent camps and allowing, you know, allowing them to 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 set up their own camps and right of and not moving them and not holding them accountable. You know, so we have, you know, rampant um, issues in, in those areas with trash and, you know, we've had fires in camps and we've had fires and dumpsters and we've had all sorts of, um, you know, quality of life type issues with that. So, you know, these Mobile camps with the with the um, RVs and whatever cars that get set up along industrial roads that block the ability for trucks to make turns into loading docks. That has issues for us, and and just allowing it to continue to happen and not moving those people along, and not holding them accountable. Um, you know we're we're becoming we're becoming a magnet and I'm a little bit concerned about that. So, um, moving on from that, there are a couple other things going on uh, at the Board of Commissioners in our last uh, 15 minutes here or so I want to touch on, Uh, one of which was we kind of dealt with some redistricting issues yesterday and uh, might be kind of esoteric for folks that um, don't, follow politics, but, you know, the census data is going to come out eventually, even though it's late, um, and we are going to be required to reset the boundaries of our commissioner's districts. And one of the things that I push for very hard, in fact, I wanted to pass a charter amendment to do this, but we're just doing it by ordinance, is to have an independent commission for all those districts that that had an arm's length separation from the commissioners um, and we uh passed an ordinance yesterday that that sets that up for the first time and one of the things it will have is three people from each commissioner's district that will be on that committee and the first five will be you know one appointed by each commissioner and the next 10 will be appointed by the first five so that there'll be some separation on the the committee that way Um, We are going to, in the next few weeks, be issuing um, invitations to apply for those positions for folks to be on that redistricting committee. So if you're somebody that is interested in having fair, balanced districts drawn up in this county, um, I encourage you to keep an eye out and I'll announce that again when we actually are opened up for applications um, to be on this redistricting committee. And while I'm talking about ability opportunities to serve your community for Lane County, we also have four positions open right now for our planning commission, which is another really critical uh, advisory board to, to the county commissioners. And uh, it's a required advisory board under state land use law, and um, they're the first review basically of quite often large changes to our codes um, and can uh, massage those and, and their recommendations, and they're also sometimes the first review for various other app, um, land use applications. So that's also out there, and they're, we're taking applications right now that planning commission so um, if you're interested in, in getting involved it's also you know a great place to learn about um, land use law and a great place to start understanding public meetings law and all the, everything else that goes into serving as a possible future maybe you know if you want to run for your local city council school board or whatever it's great experience And great resume stuff for the for those folks that might want to be future candidates. So keep an eye, you know, good, you know, the the planning commission positions are open now. Keep an eye out for that redistricting committee. Um, We'll be out there. But yesterday we also passed another ordinance, and to my surprise, it passed on a 5-0 vote. By the way, the redistricting also passed 5-0. But this one was one I was pretty sh- sure because the, some of the questions and comments from, from earlier on, I didn't think we were going to have a 5-0 vote. I thought it was going to be a 3-2 um, because two of the commissioners, uh, commissioners Buck and Trigger, were asking a lot of questions about this ordinance that sounded like they were, might vote against it. But we passed an ordinance that will require local governments in Lane County that pass a tax or revenue measure that requires Lane County to incur some kind of cost to collect it on their behalf that that local government will reimburse Lane County for that cost. Now the, the reason this got started was the City of Eugene decided that they were going to pass a payroll tax. Now Mind you, we've got a pretty darn big payroll in Lane County of over 2,000 employees. And, of course, it's all computerized and time-carded and stuff like that. You can imagine a new payroll tax that applied to only those employees that actually report to, you know, inside the city of Eugene or, or headquartered somehow or another that way because our folks that are at the Florence, you know, public workshop probably shouldn't be paying the city of Eugene's payroll tax. So there's all sorts of little things like that that had to be set up. And it was a new 0.44, you know, percent of employees' income that was being taxed. And and the city of Eugene understood that it can't tax another government, so it's not requiring us to pay the 0.22% that um, be required of employers. We're only having to set up to pay the point four four um and that that costs a considerable amount of money to get the software you know reworked for that, and then it's costing us a considerable amount to administer it on an annual basis and what this ordinance will allow us to do is to start getting you know collect you know billing the city for that cost or we will stop collecting the tax um, And that's basically what the ordinance set up. And it also prevents, in the future, the city of Florence decides to pass some kind of tax that we have to collect for our Florence Road Shop employees. They have to reimburse us for that cost. And it's not backwards looking. We're not going to try and get back our setup money for the city of Eugene tax. What we want them to do is to at least reimburse us for the about $7,000 a year it's going to cost us to continue to collect it for them. Now, mind you, I think we're only collecting about thirty-five thousand or so a year for them under this tax. So it's kind of a yeah silly thing, but a lot of cost to us. Be interesting to see if maybe and yeah maybe I might encourage people to nudge some of their school boards. But 4J and Bethel are both paying a considerable amount of money to collect the city of Eugene's tax from their employees. Um, maybe some other government entities that might want to think about asking the city of Eugene to reimburse them uh, for their costs. Because for me, it was a fairness issue. I'm collecting property taxes from people in Florence, and I'm going to take that property tax and pay the cost to collect the tax for the benefit of the city of Eugene. And those people in Florence don't vote for city councilors in Eugene have absolutely no say, don't benefit from the tax at all, but they were going to be subsidizing the city of Eugene's tax collection on our employees. So it'd be interesting to see if the city tries to challenge that legally or not. Um, but you know, they obviously recognize they can't tax us because they won't collect the employer share of their tax, and causing us to have a cost is the same thing as taxing us. If they don't reimburse us for this, they're taxing another government. I was happy to see that go through five zero and uh, really um, pleased that it, it got the support of the board. Um, and I'm pleased because it sets up something for the future too, where everything will be equitable. I won't be collecting property taxes from city of Eugene residents to pay for a city of cottage Grove tax you know, or some other uh, local government. So I um, was really pleased about that. And then uh, at, at the end of the last, the, the board meeting yesterday, we we talked a little bit about climate again and our climate action plans and stuff. And it just, it it gives me a headache. Um, now, yes, the climate's changing. My issue's always been because of my scientific background, how little humans have to do with that change. And then when you get down to it, you know, if you do believe carbon's the driver, that co 2 is the driver, the carbon footprint for U.S. citizens has been steadily dropping over the last 20 years. And Oregon's carbon, per capita carbon footprint is well below the US average. Why? Because we have a lot of hydropower in Oregon. We have a very low carbon footprint to start with. Now, Lane County and, well, Oregon only represents, you know, a small portion of the total US population. Lane County only represents about 10% of Oregon's and about a tenth of a percent of the US population. So anything we do to try and move the needle here in Lane County really isn't doing much to move the needle when it comes to our, our quote, climate. Yet we're spending $300,000 a year of your taxes to, quote, you know, trying to impact the climate but we had this report back from our climate advisory committee. And one of the things they, they you know, kind of were asking is, you know, have, you know what, what do you want us to do? And I was kind of like, eh, it was up to me. You guys would be disbanded. And one of the things I did was I, I brought to the attention of the board members a book I would like them to read. And in fact, I think I've actually convinced chair Bernie to at least read the first 60 pages of this book. It's called unsettled and it is written by, somebody that was the undersecretary for science in the Obama administration. You know, Stephen Koonin you know, served as the undersecretary for science in the U.S. Department of Energy under President Obama. And he's authored over 200 peer-reviewed papers. He's a professor of theoretical physics at Caltech, holds all sorts of, you know, various Uh, certificates and, and honor, honor, you know, honors, et cetera. And uh, as he got moved into this kind of administrative role and into energy, he got, you know, started doing more and more research on climate and he became kind of appalled at the whole thing. And um, it's an interesting book because it's not, you know, just like me, he doesn't deny climate changes, but, you know, he came to, you know, if you get to page four of his introduction, you know, he, he talks about how he, you know, came to the realization that climate science was far less mature than I, than I had supposed. Here's what I discovered. Humans exert a growing but physically small warming influence on the climate. The deficiencies of climate data challenge our ability to untangle the response to human influences from poorly understood natural changes. IE we're coming out of an ice age, folks.
1: Yeah. The results of multitude the
0: multitude of climate models disagree with and even contradict each other and many kinds of observ and many kinds of observations a vague... Expert judgment was sometimes applied to adjust model results and obfuscate shortcomings. Com- <laughs> yeah. yeah, government and UN press releases and summaries do not accurately reflect the reports themselves. Really? <laughs> there was a consensus at the meeting, you know, that, that is referring to this, this um, workshop you we went to, on some important issues, but not all. The strong consensus the media promulgates. Distinguished climate experts, including report authors themselves, are embarrassed by some of the media portrayals of the science. In short, the science is insufficient to make useful projections about how the climate will change over the coming decades, much less what effect our actions will have on it. Undersecretary for Science in the Obama administration. And then the rest of the book's full of all the data that backs us up. Um, 300000 a year of your taxes. So, well, I'm starting to hear the music. We must be getting close to the end of another Bose Nose Show. We'll be back next week with another edition of the Bose Nose Show. and uh We'll be coming to you live here from beautiful downtown Elmira. Remember, apply or look at those planning commission positions and, and hopefully maybe you might think about serving your community there. Thank you for listening and have a great week.